0: Next station is Metropolis. 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 (laughs) Welcome to Metropolis, a podcast series presented by the student from the Urban Master at the Versailles School of Architecture. In each station, a guest will tell us about his vision of the city, its conception, its density, its future. well thank you for having me um thank you for being here um welcome to the metropolis podcast i'm um, really glad to have you here and today mrs visconti is joining us from new york uh you work at big architecture could you maybe give us a short introduction of who you are where you're from where did you study those kind of things
1: Sure. So um, my name is Autumn Visconti. I am a landscape architect here at Bjark Ingles Group here in Dumbo, New York. And uh, we have five offices that includes our headquarters in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, Barcelona, London, as well as a new office in Shenzhen. Uh, We are a group of 500 collaborators, designers, uh, urbanists, architects, landscape architects, uh, interior designers, space planning. uh, And and we really are kind of a group of uh, very talented and diverse individuals. So even though we're an international firm, we we do kind of collaborate um, together, uh, especially now during the the days of the the pandemic. To give you a little bit of background on on myself, uh, I am, uh, um, let me see, and you're gonna be editing things too, right? So as I'm like, kind of, okay, great. So a little bit of background about myself. I I went to school for landscape architecture, uh, both in my undergrad and graduate studies. I have worked at a couple of uh, world-renowned landscape architectural practices uh, around the US and in Canada and have landed here at Yark Ingalls Group about four or five years ago, and primarily to spearhead the first phase of the Big U proposal, which is called the East Side Crystal Resiliency Project. Uh, that being said, I've been involved in a number of large scale master planning efforts uh, that, are, that range um, in, in terms of uh, open space typologies, uh, as well as future forward thinking for transportation and infrastructural uh, uses across the world. Uh, my experience also includes smaller scale plazas design, plaza designs, and parks um, here in the US as well as uh, down in South America.
0: Okay, great. Um, so we're having you here today because we are aspiring architects and urban planners and uh, are uh, landscaper architects. So it's our duty to, to ask ourselves when our masters, uh, what kind of city do we want to live in? What makes a good city? How can we strive to have a holistic approach to urban planning, especially and more relevantly in today's climate? Maybe first we can go for the icebreaker questions uh, to get to know you a little better. Uh, those are questions that we're asking all of our guests. So maybe first, is there a city that you love or that inspires you?
1: Yep, the city that I love is uh, here in New York City. It really uh, inspires me. I'm, I'm originally from New York and uh, have lived in cities all over. And I, I continue to come back home and, uh, and, and continually inspired by the diversity, the infrastructure, the community, the, uh, the the sense of community that's kind of built over time and really integrated into the different diverse neighborhoods across the city. Uh, I think the city's uh, scale kind of helps influence and inform uh, um, kind of future design proposals. And I really think the, the diversity and the scale of the city is what inspires me the most.
0: Great, maybe we can all go there after COVID is over. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Now, is there a book you want to share that influenced you?
1: Yes, Um, so I'm currently reading uh, All We Can Save, which is a a great uh, book that kind of reflects on, uh, you know, climate change and what uh, designers, ecologists, scientists, engineers can do in order to help uh, mitigate the effects of climate change, how it can help improve um, our daily um, kind of lifestyles and how, how we can collaborate and work together in thinking of a, a future and a future for our earth, as well as uh, kind of uh, looking at different uh, approaches in, uh, in solving uh, the negative impacts of climate change. Great, um, is
0: there an architect you admire? Hmm, I can't,
1: (laughs) I would have to say, Bjarke is uh, truly an inspirational and uh, 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 architect. He's a thought leader. Uh, I I truly do admire him and his work. Uh, I I admire a lot of architects, so he's not the only one. I primarily admire artists and individuals who really think about the environment, uh, such as uh, Maya Lin, and, and, and really thinking about the sculptural aspects of landscape. So I do admire quite a bit, and those are, those are two names I would love to drop.
0: Of course. Um, and now, lastly, is there a building or maybe a landscape project that you keep coming back to in your practice? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, one, one landscape project that uh, really inspires me and draws me back uh, quite often is the Brooklyn Bridge Park project located in in Lower Brooklyn. Um, it used to be a kind of a transit um, and waterfront port and marine hub for industries. And over the years, it's been transformed into a a very verdant and thriving park space for many New Yorkers to enjoy. Uh, That, to me, is a a personal park because I live nearby it and it has helped me kind of uh, cope with the negative uh, effects of the pandemic and really uh, kind of helping me Uh, just kind of get outside and explore and and be immersed in nature while we're in this urban environment.
0: Right, because now public spaces with COVID, they are more important than ever. We'll come back to this. Exactly, yep. Right, so uh, with our studio right now, we're in the early stages of conception for a future hypothetical transformation of a city in northern China. So um, we have a few questions related to that, uh, both to that and to your work. So for my first question, I would say BIG is an agency that immediately comes to the mind of many students when imagining the projects and the cities of tomorrow because of both of its utopian and futuristic approach. Um, in one or two sentences, what is your vision of the city of the future?
1: I think our vision of the city for the future really should embrace the uh, diversity of the communities and neighborhoods that already exist in the cities, really uh, supporting one another and uh, embracing uh, biodiversity and supporting environmental systems that are already inherent in the city or around the city. I think uh, the city of the future should look at new forms of transportation and uh, really kind of support uh, um, uh, neighbors and uh, communities to kind of be outside and enjoy public open space. And I I also believe that the cities of the future really uh, support and promote uh, public and accessible uh, open spaces that are equitable for all people to enjoy.
0: Right, so uh, that leads us to our second question. Right now, you're working on a project in Penangs of South Islands. Mm-hmm. So for large scale projects or master plans such as those, what is your experience so far with actors of uh, the cities, or in this case, the states of so collaborators, stakeholders, uh, to create new urban guidelines? And how does such a complex system work? And what is your role?
1: Yeah, so I can, I can give a little bit of background about uh, biodiversity, uh, Penang, that's the kind of name that we uh, branded the project with. And we really kind of took a step back and looked at the uh, location of the project, uh, its inherent values for the environmental uh, kind of systems that surround the site. It also is a notable landscape in terms of biodiversity in an environmental sense, because it really does stand out and it is an ecological uh, hotspot for uh, very diverse uh, species that kind of exist um, in this concentrated uh, area of the world. So we, we really kind of looked at the project at large in terms of how can a project development of this scale and of this magnitude support fragile ecosystems and how we can really support and grow biodiversity and how we can live in harmony with these different diverse systems kind of combining uh, societal um, uh, amenities with uh, environmental solutions and really supporting growth and development in tandem with uh, environmental stewardship uh, into one kind of cohesive project and uh, vision for the future of South Penang. So I think uh, we we really looked back in the history and evolution of the uh, environmental considerations of the uh, islands, drew inspiration from the uh, natural systems that occur throughout the site. And uh, that uh, helped us influence um, uh, the urban design uh, that we developed for for the new city of uh, Penang South Islands. I think what's important is really harnessing and utilizing these natural systems in a way that we can benefit uh, from an urban design standpoint, but also help support uh, fragile and natural ecosystems that occur throughout the site. So uh, taking into consideration the environmental standpoint, uh, we also uh, acknowledge and support the uh, kind of Uh, societal diversity that occurs on the island. It is a very diverse uh, um, territory with people from all different backgrounds that live there. And we really wanted to support the kind of human diversity of the site. So blending together uh, ecological biodiversity and societal communal Uh, diversity into one uh, holistic approach that uh, kind of self-supports each other as they evolve over time, is is the the broader vision for the project.
0: Okay, great. So when you're working on these projects, um, what you're saying is that the site and the context are always really, really important in this case with the ecosystem and the social social approach. Um, So you're in an international office working on several cities around the world. Um, So what differences have you noticed between maybe a Danish and an American or a South Asian public space? Do you think there is an international way of thinking about the city?
1: I think in terms of an international way or approach, I think uh, we often look to other cities from around the world and draw inspiration from how other cities are successful in developing their public open spaces and urban systems and infrastructural kind of layouts. Um, I think it's important to to learn from the successes of other cities in order to help uh, kind of inform our design solutions for for different design challenges that occur in in our own backyards. I think, From uh, from our own kind of uh, standpoint from the US, where we often look towards the European models of of public open space and transportation. Uh, We look towards the uh, Southeast Asia and in terms of future forward approaches, uh, uh, autonomous vehicle uh, mobility systems, and really kind of understand what is working for other cities around the world and try to bring that back home uh, for projects that we're working on locally. I think we we work together uh, across all of our offices in brainstorming different design approaches and often collaborate in terms of what it means for us to design spaces for the future, for the public realm.
0: Right, so taking inspiration from cities all around the world. Yes. So you've had the opportunity to work both on uh, existing infrastructures, such as in New York City, and maybe, um, I don't know if it's the right phrasing, but brand new, uh, like a new site as in, uh, in Penang. Do you prefer to work on existing cities or on a blank page, uh, like a Tabula Rasa and why? Mm-hmm. And which do you think is most challenging?
1: I think the most challenging uh, project to work with is a Tabula Rasa kind of project where it's a blank slate. I think it's really important to look at an existing city and how it's growing and performing and understanding the communities and the foundations of the uh, evolution of the city as it has adapted and has grown over time. I think these kind of processes are very organic and not uh, designed in a way. um, and, And I think it's important for us to understand how cities evolve over time. Uh, we learn from these patterns and they help us inform kind of better design solutions or scenarios uh, by, by understanding the natural growth patterns of uh, different neighborhoods and communities that uh, kind of thrive within different city centers. Uh, the kind of blank slate approach is is very tough, I think, in my opinion. Uh, it, you're often trying to trace the history of, of, uh, of a city, but I think it's important to bear in mind uh, what what was once there. So if a city is not existing in any kind of territory per se uh, today, um, I think it's important to then really look at the geological morph- um, 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 morphology of the site that uh, kind of helped influence the natural landscape of the site and really use that to help influence the design of any kind of development in that area. Because you want to support the environmental conditions of any site. Uh, I think it's really important for for any any generation to live in harmony with nature, especially as we're de- designing cities of the future.
0: Right. Uh, thank you. Now we can move on to questions on density. We are very interested in density right now in our studio. Um, so my question would be: with the growing population and soon 68% of the world's population will be living in urban areas. Um, How does uh, Big deal with density and which place does it have during the creation process?
1: So that's a very important question. I think density is incredibly important and it's something that we cannot forget about, especially as we return uh, back to our cities after the, the pandemic is over, it's something that we have all experienced. Uh, you know, The need to be in a, a city is, is, is uh, instrumental to, to us living a very kind of uh, active lifestyle. It, it's all about convenience and, and accessibility and uh, building a sense of community with neighbors and people that you don't even know. I think the importance of density is also the is, is also the um, kind of the foundation for the importance of building a sense of community in any city. Uh, our neighborhoods uh, thrive off of uh, density in in businesses and residences and uh, access to public open spaces and transportation networks. Uh, It is also a multi-generational approach where these kind of ease and accessibility to these different systems, uh, particularly for transportation, is important for for, uh, individuals who are immobile or elderly. It's something that we have to keep in mind as we age and place in, in different urban areas that we will no longer be capable of driving our own vehicles. We will have to rely on more uh, multimodal uh, transit networks or or the future of mobility, which uh, can relate back to the autonomous vehicle approach. Uh, so density is, is a really important factor in terms of how we can live in harmony together as a society. I think, uh, you know, it is something we want to support and also provide uh, you know, kind of a, um, a framework for, uh, a, for a balance of, of uh, built urban environments with a kind of uh, approach in providing uh, public open spaces and really finding the kind of uh, harmony between built urban forms and our landscapes in the cities and providing access to both for anyone
0: right so you're talking about uh, mobility in the city uh, that's interesting do you think that in a diverse city biodiversity uh, would you say that mobility is a parameter that enables both more density and more ecology
1: yes I think um, understanding how to bundle uh, infrastructural systems with uh, public open space amenities is something that we we really support in the idea of building social infrastructure. Uh, So infrastructure to us is uh, is broad. It's it's really hard to define infrastructural systems. Uh, Mobility is obviously a um, very uh, important aspect of infrastructural systems and uh, really understanding how the uh, network of of a transit system uh, impacts the design and growth of the dense urban area. Uh, this is important for accessibility and, and making sure that we're really supporting uh, a diverse uh, transit networks such as walking and mobile, um, uh, bicycling uh, or a- AV or autonomous vehicle mobility systems. And uh, really thinking about the diversity and offering uh, multiple um, uh, approaches for mobility is key to the success of a a city. Uh, It it comes down to uh, accessibility and and providing uh, the kind of framework that helps uh, uh, support and uh, guide natural systems as they uh, kind of work in, uh, in tandem. They work in tandem uh, in terms of uh, uh, providing the overall framework of how you kind of lay the foundation of a city for the future,
0: right? Because in Penang City, there are no cows, right? It's all about public transportation and walking.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in biodiversity, there it, it's, uh, it's a it's the mobility approach uh, focuses on a hierarchy of of uh, transit systems. It includes uh, kind of larger scale uh, highways or freeways uh, as well as smaller scale neighborhoods, streets, and uh, uh, bicycling corridors. Uh, I think it's important to understand the hierarchy of different uh, mobility systems and understanding the pace of these systems because they're going to um, uh, ultimately shape uh, a lot of how the city is uh, formed in the future. Um, and and providing access to these different kind of multimodal uh, corridors is is key for for any community to to thrive.
0: Now questions on ecology. So for all recent projects, uh, we can see that it puts a significant emphasis on the sustainable, but also the resilient aspect of urban planning and architecture. Can you maybe develop for us the importance are uh, you attached to uh, ecology and resilience in your projects? And is, there an esen- is this an essential parameter or does it appear after the preliminary re- reflections?
1: Um, resiliency for us uh, is, is an important factor uh, in terms of how we anticipate change in the future. Uh, we have to adapt over time to the different environmental conditions, uh, especially with uh, our changing climate. Uh, it's important for for dense urban areas to really consider the environmental aspects of um, of our of our uh, of our region. Um, uh, resiliency for us is is more about just being prepared for the next storm. Uh, there's a sense of uh, uh, social resiliency and how we bounce back together as community and, and really uh, utilizing public open space as a way to bring different communities together because it is an uh, important aspect in any design of the city in the future. I think uh, providing educational opportunities in design and design and why we're adapting and providing resilient solutions for any uh, project is is a critical feature in all of our design solutions. We really want to educate the uh, generations uh, before um, at, that follow us, uh, and, and and really understand and, bu- and build the uh, foundations for a multi generational approach uh, in terms of any kind of uh, resiliency or community building that we're trying to propose for any city in the future.
0: Right. Um... I think um, the book, Hot to Cold, uh, that was published in 2015, I think, -hmm. um, shows that um, there is a real impregnation of the sustainable and resilient question. Um, Since six years ago, how do you think it has evolved today uh, in your projects? And what are your tools for sustainable urban planning?
1: Okay, uh, that was multiple questions. Um, so, uh, giving a little bit of background about our hot to cold book, uh, we we do uh, understand the importance of any environmental condition for our projects, and understand the uh, different uh, environmental uh, impacts that our projects may have. In terms of uh, resiliency, um, I, I want to give a little bit of background about one of our projects that began around the time that Hot to Cold came out, and that is the Big U. Um, as you, as we were describing earlier, uh, the Big U is a uh, approach that was brought on by the Rebuild by Design competition, which was born from the uh, impacts of Hurricane Sandy, which occurred eight years ago today. Um, the Big U is a 10 mile long infrastructural project that uh, bundles uh, public open space with a uh, system of flood protection uh, or a flood protection barrier that uh, stretches along 10 miles of the lower Manhattan coastline. Um, it, is a, uh, it is our design. It was our design approach for the competition in a sense that uh, we looked at uh, all the different neighborhoods that occur uh, throughout lower Manhattan And what's uh, unique about our approach is that it was tailored to uh, kind of respond to the diverse communities along the shoreline. Uh, We looked at um, the infrastructure as a way to provide support and amenities to different communities along the waterfront and providing uh, diverse opportunities for public open space and uh, flood protection. Uh, as as an amenity for each uh, neighborhood that this uh, kind of uh, line would uh, pass through. Uh, We would uh, coin the term the dry line as a way of uh, really uh, describing it as a a more of a park system that can run along the uh, uh, Manhattan waterfront. Over time, that uh, competition entry evolved into uh, the first phase of of a buildable project here in uh, the Lower East Side, which is called the East Side Coastal Resiliency Project. Uh, We uh, just broke ground yesterday. It is a 2.4-mile-long project. It is effectively the first phase of the Big U, or the dry line. Uh, We uh, anticipate about five years in terms of construction. And uh, the uh, first phase concept is, is the idea of taking a park and elevating it and providing uh, flood protection for over 100,000 residents in the Lower uh, uh, East Side. Um, uh, the new park will be a will effectively act as a uh, kind of hyper levee, providing uh, sports amenities and recreational opportunities on top of uh, this kind of uh, raised park. Uh, We're providing accessible uh, entries uh, with new uh, pedestrian bridges that cross over an existing highway. We're providing uh, resilient planting strategies that are uh, uh, native to the New York City region. We're also looking at uh, an an extensive network of uh, cycle-friendly and pedestrian-friendly pathways Uh, We're also uh, increasing diverse amenity uses and opportunities for everyone to enjoy uh, for the communities that live in the area. So uh, we just broke ground yesterday. It was uh, announced uh, by the mayor of New York and uh, we're looking to complete the project by 2024-25. It is a phased project approach. And uh, we're pretty excited about it. It's one of the biggest in the nation and uh, definitely one of the biggest projects in the city that's being implemented.
0: So I think my next question now is, ecology is often going to social, mm-hmm. uh, especially projects. Uh, you talked about it. Um, how do you think in Big's uh, vision, uh, ecology and social are linked?
1: Sure. So uh, just like... Uh, um, How we design for cities of the future, we also have to consider the environmental systems that we're trying to support. Uh, Ecology is really important for any community and city to thrive and live sustainably in the future. Um, We want to look at uh, different ways that uh, environmental systems can work together with uh, infrastructural systems and how uh, communities can thrive together with uh, diverse ecosystems uh, in the future. We really wanna support biodiversity in all of our projects. And we think biodiversity uh, in parallel with um, kind of human diversity is something that is inherent in many neighborhoods and communities as they evolve over time and really, want to harness these uh, kind of unique relationships and uh, and opportunities, really harnessing the idea of supporting biodiversity and equity for, for people over time through um, environmental solutions that work in tandem to urban design uh, considerations.
0: Um, so lastly, uh, we wanted to talk about parametrics and IA. Mm-hmm. Um, My first question is, do you develop your own parametric tools for urban planning or is it really out of the question?
1: Yep. So we're uh, we actively use parametric design uh, as a way to uh, identify different environmental parameters Uh, in terms of an urban design and and landscape architectural standpoint. uh, We really use the analysis of a site and the Uh, kind of uh, fundamental um, uh, environmental conditions to help influence a lot of our design and layouts of uh, public open spaces, of tree selections and planting selections, how we need to lay out our uh, roadways and infrastructural systems. They're all responsive to natural patterns in our environment. And by mapping these different uh, natural conditions, we, we, we really come to an understanding of how we should design responsibly to these different parameters. Uh, this is done by introducing uh, different kind of uh, design approaches that are assigned to uh, parametrics and really kind of seeing how different uh, scenarios can unfold over time or, or respond to the different parameters that we're describing.
0: Right, so mostly, uh, those parametrics tools are for analysis, and then you design going from there. Yes. Yes. Right. Um, So my next question is, what do you think of AI uh, tools designed um, directly to design, uh, such as Google's Sidewalk Labs Mm -hmm. uh, AI development? Do you think it's kind of? dehumanizing uh, um, and it strips you from your work as a landscape architect, or is it uh, just like uh, parametrics analysis? Do you think it's just a tool to be seized as well?
1: Yeah, I think, I think we have to look at it in a way that um, we're developing and working with uh, uh, technologies as they evolve over time. And how can we use these different tools and skill sets to help inform our designs of the future? it's really important for us to consider the, the, the data that's coming from these different um, uh, uh, technological uh, advancements, I guess, as you can say, but uh, really using data to our, our benefit and really helping that inform our overall design process.
0: Right, so if, um, if a computer maybe would, uh, would tell you from the layout of the streets, how the morphology of the buildings would be. Uh, exactly,
1: and, and everything that we do is very responsive to the environmental considerations of any site, from solar to wind to water runoff and, uh, and environmental systems that occur across the site. We use parametrics a lot for to respond to these different con- considerations.
0: Okay, great um that interests us a lot because so be it mobility be it um green spaces uh we have to choose parameters so which ones do you think you would choose
1: Hmm. as a landscape architect i really uh see the importance of understanding how uh, water works on a site and really understanding how the different flows of water uh can really influence and inform the design process it's important to think of water as a really valuable resource and we wanna utilize uh, this resource and help it um, either protect it or reuse it or filter it. And I think uh, in terms of design of public open space and in urban, urban design, we really need to respect the natural flows of any site. So I, I really do use, uh, I guess, kind of more of a hydrological uh, scripting to help influence uh, our designs. Uh, especially for a landscape since we are proposing new landscapes that can respond to or sculpt new pathways for water to move in and around.
0: Um, so maybe I can ask my last question as a conclusion and we can run. Mm-hmm. Um, so Great. This is um, a question about COVID. Uh, yes. We knew this was coming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in France and around the world, the pandemic has completely disturbed city usages. So how do you think COVID is going to affect future city planning and its parameters? Is it, do you think it's an intense but just temporary turmoil, or do you see really long-lasting lifestyle changes?
1: I think the pandemic has taught us a lot about our city centers and what we value as public open space. I see how the streets have transformed how we interact with different businesses and making use of open air facilities. And I see uh, an ease in walkability by creating uh, more streets for people versus cars. I think this is a trend that a lot of cities are beginning to recognize, and I definitely think it's something that we should evolve and and plan for in the future and how we can really prioritize uh, pedestrians over cars and cycling over subways. I think it's an important aspect that we have to learn from and how we uh, respond to these kind of um, conditions in, in the sense that we're uh, creating opportunities for more public open space and accessibility for everyone to enjoy.
0: Right, so you think in the future, we're going to think twice about this, uh, right? Because these days I can, I can see that, um, especially for public spaces, furniture, now it's in high demand because our restaurants are closed mm-hmm. People are reappropriating public spaces and I think it's a, it's an interesting aspect. Exactly. Um, okay, so that was it. Great. Um, thank you so much. Yes, of course. Thank you for listening to the Metropolis podcast and we will see you on the next one. Goodbye.